Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are near. We thank you that you're the comforter and the restorer of our hearts. You're the manifest presence of God in our midst as we await for the coming of our Lord. Jesus, I'm thankful today that, yes, you came into this world. We just celebrated that. We, we remembered that. We, we are in adoration of you for that. And you died on the cross, but you didn't stay there. You rose once again to new life. But Lord, today I'm thankful that it's still not over, that that's not the end of the story. God, we're still waiting for you to split the sky and come back and completely restore heaven and earth, the, the effects, every effect of sin, death, and darkness removed forever. God, we place our hope in this today. I thank you, God. You're the restorer of all things. You, you make all things work together for good. There is nothing wasted. There is nothing that the enemy has stolen that will remain lost in your kingdom, God. You restore what the locusts have eaten. So today, God, I just thank you, Lord, that you came near. And even today, as the word is released, Holy Spirit, I ask, come and minister. Come and release hope, renewed vision. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come that we would have life abundant today and tomorrow and increasing and increasing until you split the sky and completely, completely restore all things. We thank you that you are a God of the living and not of the dead. We worship you today. So come and rest upon us, God. Come and remove darkness over minds. Come and break chains. Come and heal hearts. We thank you, God, that this is who you are. This is what you do. So we bless your name today, Father. We, we just ask, God, continue to move in our midst. Continue to heal. Continue to restore. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Boonville Worship Center, this last day of the year. Did that go by fast for anyone else? Some of you, perhaps it went by slow. It's all a matter of perspective. Different things in your life, sometimes they happen very quickly. Other times, it feels like life drags on at a snail's pace. But here we are at the last day of the year. And I have been, I have the privilege of releasing the word today, so I'm going to open up in prayer. Lord, God, we come before you, God. Lord, we thank you, God, for this body. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace, God, to hear the word and to have it be imparted into our hearts. God, we desire, Lord, not just to understand the scriptures, Lord, but to live it out. Lord, to have it transform us from the inside out. 
And God, we pray that you would accomplish your mighty work of transformation in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last time I spoke, I said that that was the last sermon on grace. Well, I need to correct that statement. So this time, I was um, in prayer in Kansas City, really praying through what the Lord wanted me to speak on today, and this reality of applying God's grace, again, resurfaced in my heart. As, as for those of you that have been present the other times that I've spoken on grace, we really, we weren't just looking at the theology of grace, we were looking at the hard road of learning to live it and apply it and walk it out. So today, I really want to take that a step further and look at how the gospel of grace leads us to walking in the light as sons of the light. The gospel of grace leads us and empowers us to walk in the light. So there, there, there are certain categories of teaching and preaching that is, what shall I say, enjoyable, that is easy, right? I mean, when I've taught on the deity of Christ, or you, or you teach on these um, topics of, of, of right, right doctrine and right thinking, it's very easy. It's, it's easy because if you know what the truth is and you can break it down and you can release it, then it's just, it's matter of fact, right? It could be seen as perhaps more black and white. But when you transition into teaching and preaching on the application of doctrine, the application of theology, then it becomes far more difficult because applying the Bible is where the rubber meets the road. And, and when we apply the Bible, then we face the challenge of making it real. We face the challenge of applying it in real-life scenarios to real relationships, to real struggles, to real addictions, to real-life pain, to real trauma, to real, you know, uh, whatever the scenario is. Then it becomes difficult. So the truth can be 100% real, but truth can also be 100% hard to swallow and hard to walk out, right? So our journey to maturity includes both the understanding of right doctrine, right? We need to understand what the Bible has to say, but as we mature, we, we, we have to step past that and say, okay, that right belief has to be practically embraced when I feel pain. has to be practically embraced when life is hard. So on a lighter note, we know that things like car repairs and bloody knuckles go hand in hand. How many of you know that? Car repairs and bloody knuckles. That's one reason why in the past I've hated things like car repairs. Like I'm not that big of a guy. 
I can't just throw my weight into it to loosen a bolt. And when I do, always, I end up with blood on my fingers. It's hard. Woodworking involves splinters. That's a hard truth, but it's true. If you, if you, do, if you work with wood enough, you're going to end up with painful splinters. Building muscles literally requires the tearing of the muscles you have. There's no way around it. Like, like it or not, if, if our muscles are to grow, we're going to feel the pain of it. Right? So that's a hard truth. And here's another one. Sugar, we know, I mean, you can look it up. Sugar, it feeds cancer, it promotes inflammation, weight gain, heart disease, and dozens of other maladies in the body. And yet, it has amazing flavor. So we just got through a season where, I'm assuming statistically, people consume more sugar over the holidays from Thanksgiving through New Year's, right? There's, there's always, there's extra opportunities to eat cookies and cakes and ice cream and brownies and all of the dozens of other tasty sugar-filled foods. So it's a hard truth. So the truth can be true, but yet the applying that to our life and saying, okay, sugar, what is going to be my actual walked-out reality of my relationship with sugar? Am I going to be, have self-control? Am I going to moderate the intake? Or am I going to go all in, no matter what the consequences? That's hard. Like, that's not pleasant for any of us. So these hard truths that are not pleasant to agree with are even harder to live by. We know that. I mean, th those are frivolous examples, but th the principle is consistent. I mean, you could pick your own 10 examples, and the principle is consistent. There are things in life that are true, and yet living by them can be some of the hardest, thing we, hardest things we ever do. So here, as we're talking about um, the gospel of grace, I want to talk briefly about principles of truth about our sinful nature and the grace of God that transforms it. So what are, the, what are some of the principles of truth about our sinful nature? One of them is that sin is always self-justifying. Sin is always self-justifying. How many of you know that? Sin, the nature of sin, the, car the carnality of our soul, when we embrace sin, it's always self-justifying. Our natural carnal man will always turn to give reasons, context, and excuses for why and how our behavior was justified and therefore not really sin and rebellion against God. Sin is always self-justifying. We always want to give reasons and context and, and, and explain how we are not as responsible for our sin as someone else thinks we are. Is that easy or hard to receive? Like, that's not, I mean, even for me to preach it, it's like, that's not pleasant. But it's real. 
Freedom is found when we take full responsibility and we no longer lean on or attempt any justification for our sin. That is a hard truth. Freedom is on the other side of justifying. Everyone who ever does something wrong, whether you call it sin or whether you call it breaking the law or whether you call it speeding or whatever you, whatever you want to say, there's always going to be a context. Everything you do in life has context. Everything you do in life has a reason why you did it. We often don't want to admit to the reason why we did something, the reason why we, we say a white, we say, we call it a white lie. Like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But why do people say white lies? They're afraid. They're afraid of someone judging them. They're afraid of, of what will happen if, they, if they're honest with their heart motive. Right? So there's always a reason. So if, if, if there's always a reason why we sin, and we always lean on the reason to explain away why we aren't really responsible, then we're stuck in that cycle because there will always be a reason. You will never choose sin and have there not be a context or a reason. So if there's never, if there's always a context and always a reason, then learning how to step away and say, I'm fully responsible, I need help. That'll be some of the hardest things that, we've, that you and I have ever done. So sin, another principle is that sin seeks to remain hidden and it thrives in darkness and never wants to be brought into the light. Sin wants to be remain hidden, it thrives in darkness, it grows in darkness, and it never wants to be brought into the light. Ever. That is a hard truth of the reality of sin and the carnal nature. Sin never wants to be exposed. So what comes most natural to us when we sin is to isolate and hide. I don't care if you stole a cookie or if you committed some awful sin. Sin will always seek to hide. It will not desire to be exposed. So this is the fruit of a gospel problem. This is where the gospel of grace comes into play. This is a fruit of a gospel problem. Because how many of you know what you fear the most will control the outcome? What I fear the most will control the outcome. If I'm more afraid of what will happen if my sin comes into the light, then I will keep it in darkness. If I'm more afraid of God, if the, right, if the fear of God exceeds the fear of exposure, then that's when we expose it. That's when we bring it into the light. 
And we, we know from church history, we know from revival history, that just about every revival, I mean, I haven't like listed them out and run the statistics, but it could be said that most, if not all, revivals involved an abnormal amount of confession of sin. Sometimes that's one to another, you know, confessing something to your, to your spouse, to a mentor, to a pastor. Sometimes that's more public, but that's, that, that's just historical fact that when God moves at a greater level with, with the manifestation of his presence, the manifestation of his grace, and the manifestation of the fear of the Lord, then naturally there's a, there's a transition where the fear of God and the love of God reaches a point to where suddenly we are, we, we, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring things into the light. That's my story. The, the second time I preached here, you can go f- find the message on the Catch-22 of Addictions. That was my story, struggling with pornography for a decade plus. And there came a point where I was trying to get free over and over and over and over again and, and by myself. But I, I reached a point where God confronted me and said, if you want freedom, you have to expose it. That's a hard truth. That's not pleasant. But I faced that, and I came to a point where the fear of God exceeded the fear of exposing it. I was terrified. I was in Bible school. People looked at me as the pray for revival guy, the passionate, the guy that rock in prayer and pray in tongues, and I was terrified to bring it into the light on a, at a larger level. But there came a point where the fear of God and the grace of God exceeded my fear, uh, the fear of exposure, the fear of what my parents would think. And how many of you know our fears, when we actually walk them out, the reality is often different from what we expect, different from what we expect. So once I did talk to my parents, I was expecting these angry rebukes, this, how dare you, you're in Bible school, you know, you're a fake and a fraud and a failure, and I'm going to disavow you from our family. That's, that wasn't the response. So for years and years and years, I had this fear of exposing it. And then finally, God touched me at a level that said, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's the only way to freedom. So then I bring it into the light, and the experience of bringing it into the light was 100% different than what my fear told me it would be like. To give a completely random, funny example, Julianne, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, sorry. There have been various times in the past 12 years of marriage where she's said things like, you know, she's, she's afraid that if she gets into a wreck, the car will explode. Right? She's afraid 
that the car is just going to explode like the movies. You know, fireball, 200 feet in the air. Everything's incinerated. If you, run, if you do the, the statistics, I don't know what the statistic is, but I imagine it is ridiculously small where if you get in the car, wreck the, fi- the car explodes. So fear is always, statistically, the fear is always worse than the reality. But it's fear that keeps us hidden. It's fear that keeps us hiding. Hiding Hiding sin, hiding weakness, hiding struggle. If I am hiding my sin, I am lacking understanding and faith in the gospel of grace. That is the truth. To any measure that I am hiding sin, I'm lacking understanding of the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace leads us to walk in the light. So bringing sin into the light is evidence of the manifest grace of God working inside of us. It is 100% not natural for us to expose things. I don't care what it is. Even if we don't put it in the category of sin, if we just put it in the category of weakness, personality, whatever, weakness, we still don't want those things to be confronted and exposed. So when we bring something into the light, it is evidence of the manifest grace of God working in our life. That's a good thing, FYI. Regardless of, of what we feel about the thing that we've kept hidden. When we feel the grace of God to bring something into the light, that is evidence of the grace of God working on the human heart. Because the human heart will never, never want to bring things into the light. So denying, this is another principle, denying ourselves, our carnal and sinful desires, will always feel like death, because it is death. When the Bible says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, that may not be the verse that you want like over your bed, but it's true, right? Deny yourself. So the act of denying yourself will always feel like death because it is. Because the life of God in Christ is on the other side of dying to ourself. Experiencing freedom is on the other side of experiencing death. We have to experience death first before we experience life. That's the gospel. That's the hard truth of the gospel. On the one hand, the gospel is amazing. On the other hand, the gospel calls us to completely die to our carnal, fleshly desire to rule our own life, to hide what we want, to pursue what we want, how we want. The gospel calls us out of that, out of darkness and into light. So I'll give a verse. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, says, For this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ suffered for us, leaving an example. An example of what? An example in part of suffering. He suffered for us so that we could say, hey, this is how you do it. And then verse 22, who did, who did not sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the example that he set for us is not that he walked so, so much in the anointing of God that he never suffered. It says the opposite. The example he set for us is that he suffered in a way that was consistent with righteousness. In other words, his righteous actions brought on the suffering. Because when, when we pursue sin, it is often our pursuit of evading pain and suffering. Right? And it says we were continually straying like sheep. Again, that's not a verse you're going to put over your bed. I continually stray like sheep. But it's true. That's a hard truth. The human heart, we wrestle, we struggle. We struggle with carnal desires. We struggle with reacting too quick to, to pain, to other people's opinions. We react. But now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's the Christian challenge is that throughout our life, constantly, we continually return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, saying, God, I can't, I can't be the, the man in the driver's seat. God, I need help. Doesn't matter the title. Doesn't matter how many years you've been a believer. We continually remind ourselves, God, you are the shepherd, you're the overseer. See, it's, it, again, it's easy to have right doctrine. I mean, that's why, you know, it, it's... A pursuit of right belief can be, can promote pride. Because then it's easy to be black and white. This is the truth. So get in line. Submit to it. Walk it out. How many of you have struggled with that? Just being, being, being that black and white person. This is the truth. Get in line. But then once we transition into living it out with people, then we realize, wait a second. The truth may be clear, but applying it is hard. The nuances of applying the principles. You put 10 people in a room and bring up a, an issue, you will likely have different opinions about which biblical principles should be weighted heavier than others, about which verses apply, which ones don't, 
and it instantly becomes hard. But this, when we're talking about the gospel of grace leading us into the light, that is precisely why we need grace. Grace, unmerited favor and kindness to those who don't deserve it. We need grace because the journey of walking out kingdom with one another is hard. We need grace precisely because when it comes to walking it out, there's differences of opinion on how to do it. That's when we need to release grace. Because, I mean, even with our own spouses, we don't see 100% eye to eye on everything. How much more is that magnified when we gather together as a church of 80 or 150 or whatever the number? So there's no such thing as freedom, godly character, or maturity without suffering. No such thing as freedom, godly character, or maturity without suffering. How many of you just want to jump up and down and be like, yes? That's true. Sin will often, if not always, feel easier, more pleasurable, and more stress-reducing in the moment. But in the end, it robs us of inner peace. It robs us of peace with God. It robs us of character and so much more. While at the same time, it introduces shame chaos, bondage, and death into our souls. That can be true, and I believe that statement is true. That can be true, but walking it out becomes exponentially harder. Like, we know the truth. We know the biblical exhortation to walk in the light as he is in the light. But the reality of walking it out is difficult. Our carnal nature will never run towards death without the Holy Spirit working redemption in our lives. The carnal nature is never going to be like, yes, I want to die. Put me up on that cross. Yes, I want to expose everything. Shine light into me. In other words, any level of desire in us for the death of our carnal and sinful flesh is evidence of God manifestly working in our lives. That is good. So a healthy community doesn't mean the community is free of messy and painful experiences. A healthy community is marked by gospel light, gospel grace, and gospel encouragement in light of real sin, real failures, real pain, and real mess. A gospel community is marked by gospel light, gospel grace, and gospel encouragement. And that third one, gospel encouragement, I, I sense that that will likely be the topic of the next time I preach, because that's something I'm not very good at. It's easy for me personally to be that black and white, ha! This is, this is right. This is the doctrine. This is the truth. I personally 
am on that journey of wrestling with, okay, applying the truth, walking it out in community is harder than writing the theology book or the class on This Is Right Doctrine. The truth and the reality of walking it out with people in real scenarios is exponentially harder than teaching a class on systematic theology and saying this is right and this is wrong. This is, this is correct doctrine, this is false doctrine. This is correct teaching, this is false teaching. So for me, I'm on that journey of how do I release gospel encouragement. And gospel encouragement is not saying, wow, I love your new hairstyle. Gospel encouragement touches us deeply by releasing acceptance and the light of the gospel and the grace of the gospel at the very point where the recipient feels like they're not worthy of it. Where we, where we are releasing the manifestation of the real gospel into their lives when they feel like they don't deserve it. But that's a whole nother, whole nother sermon. So walking in the light. The foundation of walking in the light is found in God himself. So 1 John 1, 5 through 10. It says, and this is the message we have heard from you, from him, and have declared to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John 5. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So let's just walk through this passage. First it says, if we say. There's, there's, you see that over and over again through this passage. If we, if we say, if we walk, if we confess, this if. If we say that we have fellowship with, with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. So the comparison here is between speaking and doing. If we say one thing, and we do not do the truth of that thing, then we're lying. Right? So when we speak and claim to know the truth, and yet in practice we do the opposite, this is what hypocrisy is. That is the definition of hypocrisy. Declaring, I am aligned with the truth, and then we walk in the opposite. And before we start pointing fingers and saying who's a hypocrite in which aisle behind us or, above, or in front of us, the reality is the journey of our faith is difficult. 
and all of us are wrestling on that journey of picking up our cross, denying ourselves over and over again. And that's where gospel grace comes in. So, and then we have this other phrase, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, walking in the light puts us in union with God and opens the door for true fellowship with one another. And this is the context where we see God cleansing us from all sin. The context of God cleansing us from all sin is the context of us walking in the light. How many of us would prefer to just, before God, privately confess our sins and never have to tell a human soul? All of us would prefer that. It's easier. But here it says, if, I, if I'm walking in the light, I have fellowship with one another. So walking in the light is the context where fellowship deepens and where the cleansing of sin is most manifested. And then it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So overconfidence that we never sin is called deception. It says, if I say we have no sin, I deceive myself. How many of you like that? All of us are capable of literally deceiving ourselves. And then it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, he will forgive us and cleanse us from everything. And this is why I'm saying that the struggle to transition from hiddenness and darkness and into coming into the light, the, that, that reality is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue because the gospel is saying that that transition of coming into the light actually being, brings complete forgiveness and cleansing of all of it. It brings forgiveness and cleansing of all unrighteousness. So if coming into the light brings the cleansing of, of our sin completely, then that fear of exposure and that fear of, of walking in the light, it's a gospel issue. In other words, I'm not, I'm not believing the gospel. Now, I'm not trying to say that as some like, heavy-handed, authoritative thing. It's just, it's just reality. There, there's unbelief in my heart if the thing that's dominating my emotions is fear of exposure. When the gospel promise is, if you expose it, you can be 100% cleansed, 100% free, forgiven, free of shame, and you have deeper fellowship with God and with man. What comes most natural to our understanding is that we often think that we can obtain cleansing without walking in the light, without walking in fellowship with others, and without confession. That comes most natural. All of us. 
I mean, looking back at my own journey, I didn't have to struggle in addiction for that many years. In my own fear of exposure, I just kept stumbling along in the dark, trying to do it by myself. It didn't have to be 12 years or however long it was. It didn't have to take that long. It took that long because the fear dominated me. Because I wanted to believe that freedom was available without exposure, without confession, without gospel community. And then it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So this is a little bit different than the other one. It says, if I, if, if I say that I have no sin, present tense, it says I deceive myself. And then it says, if I say I haven't sinned, past tense, I make God a liar. Neither of those are positive realities. Again, we're talking about self-deception. This verse wouldn't exist if the reality of the verse never happened. In other words, people really do enter into places of deception where they believe that past and present sin doesn't and hasn't been in them. It's, it's a warning against deception. We should never be in a place where we look at our present life or our past life and say, yep, nope, nope, no sin, don't look there, there's never any sin, nothing, nothing there. That's not true. If I believe that, I'm under deception. The freedom of the gospel is that we've, the reality is that we've all sinned and fallen short. And freedom is in the light. Freedom is coming clean. Freedom is, is, is coming into the light and saying, and saying, I don't stand on my own merits. There have been things inside of my heart and mind that are vile and wicked. Without the blood of Jesus, I cannot stand before God with or without the title of pastor or preacher or anything else. Without the blood of Jesus, I don't qualify. I do not qualify for redemption. My character is not flawless enough. If you, if you grill my wife with enough questions, you'll, you'll find evidence of a lack of perfection in me. That's, re that's reality. So I'm humbled again and I say, God, have mercy. God, have mercy for me. I'm a sinner and I need your redemption. So what causes us to hide in the dark? Let's, I'm gonna, let's talk about John 3, 16 through 21. We know the beginning of this verse well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In other words, his heart motivation was salvation, primarily, and not swinging down the gavel of judgment. But then it continues. We never want to take the, the word out of context. Verse 18, it says, But he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men have loved the darkness rather than the light, 
for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as, being, as having been done in God. So if we take it out of context, we can just say, oh, God doesn't judge. If you keep it in context, it says, for those that are walking in darkness, they've already been judged. In other words, the, the, uh, there's other verses that say that the wrath of God actively abides on the ungodly. So here we have the heart motivation of staying in the dark. It says it right here. Men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who hates, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. In other words, the primary motivating factor to stay in the dark is fear that is absent of the gospel. There's no gospel in that fear. That fear of, I can't come into the light because I'm afraid of exposing the evil, vile, wicked heart that I have. That's fear. When that fear is dominant, it's because the gospel of grace and light has not fully touched us. And as we're walking out this reality, it's, it's easy to oversimplify and say categorically, unbelievers love darkness and walk in darkness, and categorically, believers love the light and walk in the light. How many of you would like that to be true? Say 100%, black and white, categorically. You, this category, they love evil, they walk in the dark, they're not believers. This category, they love the Lord, they walk in the light, and they are believers. As much as we want that to be true, real life, as we're walking on the journey of sanctification, reality is that there is a difficult road. There's stumbling. Even a true believer who loves God with all their heart, they can stumble. And that stumbling requires gospel light, gospel grace, and gospel encouragement so that we can all be brought back into union with Christ, into union with one another so that we can again be free of shame and be part of God's family. So somewhere in there, there's this threshold where God knows the heart of every man. He knows if we are truly saved or truly not. But the Christian journey is not a life of perfection. It's a life dependent on applying the cross day to day. I think all of us have done that. We have seen something, an event in someone's life, and categorically been like, man, that... That means they're 100% not saved. They never were. Bam. The gavel's dropped. I think if we're honest, we say, God, have mercy. 
Because whatever they stumbled in, I am equally capable of stumbling in. And God, I may not have stumbled in that area, but I've stumbled in other, other areas that completely disqualify me from obtaining righteousness in my own name. But here's the reality. If sin has disqualified you from having a righteousness in your own name, that means you are qualified to be forgiven. You are qualified to be delivered. You are qualified to have the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So, but, but, we, but we hide in the dark when we flip that and we say sin has disqualified me forever. And because of the fear of exposure, we hide in the dark when it's really the opposite. It's the whole, to- the whole Jesus came because you can't do it. The blood of Jesus is available because you can't. Your character is not flawless. I don't care what title you have or don't have. I don't care how many people you've evangelized and how many people you've seen touched and healed. And Your character is still does not qualify any of us for union with God apart from the blood. So I'm going to read a quote. Confession humbles us, which by nature uproots the pride that keeps immorality alive and attractive to our souls. Our hope for change lies in seeing Christ, but we will never see him until we step into the light and confess our sins to others. And that's a quote from the Gospel Coalition website. Confession humbles us. How many of you know that? There's nothing more humbling than opening it all up and saying, I, I would like my character to be so spotless that I never need the blood. But the reality is, it's not spotless, and I do need the blood. So Romans 13, 12 through 14, it says, That night, the night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. And I love this phrase. Put on the armor of light. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So first we saw in 1 John, God is light, and in him there's no darkness. So God is light, and then it says put on the armor of light. And then it says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So God wants us to be like him. God wants to impart to us his nature, his character. So that is literally embracing God. I cannot become like God without embracing his nature as light. God is light. So we put on the armor of light. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that putting on of light, we make no provision for the flesh. In other words, we wage war against the carnal nature that seeks to stay in the dark. We wage war against the carnal nature that seeks to gratify its own desires and lusts. So the fear of God is our protection 
against hypocrisy. Right? We saw this. It says, if you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. If you say you haven't sinned in the past, you're, you're calling God a liar. If you say that you believe the truth and don't walk in it, there's a, there's a level, a measure of hypocrisy. So what is the protection against that? So temptation is present in believers in various ways and in various degrees. But the protection against hypocrisy is the fear of the Lord. So Luke 12, 1 through 7, it says, At this time, after so many thousands of the crowds had gathered together, that they were trampling on one another. That wasn't pleasant. So many people gather around Jesus that people are getting stepped on and knocked over. It says, then he began saying to his disciples first, be on your guard for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. But I say to you, my friend, do not fear those who kill the body, and after they have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two? Asaria, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So it says, be on guard against hypocrisy. And then there's this element of introducing the fear of the Lord. We don't want to walk in hypocrisy because there's nothing that's covered up that won't be revealed. The light of God shines so bright that it is in our best interest and in His to expose and bring things into the light. And then it says, this is who you should fear. Don't fear man. Right? I mean, again, this is another element of why we stay in the dark. We stay in the dark because we were afraid of man. I was afraid of what my parents would say. I was afraid of what my college professors would say. I was afraid of people that I valued, their opinion of my life. I was afraid of exposing the, the wrestle of my heart to them. But here, but here it says, don't fear them. Fear the God who, can, who, can't, who, who can't just kill the body but cast you into hell. In other words, the fear of God is to exceed the fear of man. The God that sees everything, the fear of him should exceed our little games of, you know, being afraid to, to be open and honest. I will show you who to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed, he has authority to cast you into hell. Fear him. This is Jesus himself in this New Testament. So the fear of God is not something that we should run away from because it's bad. The fear of God is the very thing that Jesus himself is saying, this is the protection against hypocrisy. God sees everything. He loves to bring things into the light. So fear him. And then it says, 
All right, so let's move on. Walking as children of the light. So God is light. He wants us to imitate him. So Ephesians 5, 1 through, 1 through, through 21. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. So again, we know God is light. In him there's no darkness. It says we are to put on the armor of light. We are to put on the Lord Jesus. And then here it says, be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, nor filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no, no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater, who has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, number one, we are capable of deception. We've heard that multiple times. We are capable of being deceived. Deception includes words. How many of you know that? Deception includes words. There are real, what we perceive to be true statements, logical statements, rational belief systems that can be empty. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, when you are deceived, you feel like everything you believe has substance and truth and reality. I believed through and through, 100% of the fiber of my being, I believed that bringing my sin into the light would be the death of me in a, in a negative sense. Like, I'm called to preach. How can I bring sin into the light? Right? But instead, so I, it felt like it had substance. Deception has words, but they're empty. We feel like it has substance. When I'm afraid of whatever it is, I'm afraid when, I'm, when I have irrational fear, fear of exposure, fear of a car blowing up, fear of whatever, that fear has a belief system that feels right and weighty. But in reality, it's empty words. And we're all capable of it. We're all capable of, of having that, that unbelief. And then it says, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. For you were formerly, hear this phrase, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I, I like hearing those phrases. Trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. How many of you know the journey of discerning what the will of God is for our life. It's like a, I, I believe, I think God's speaking to me. God, encourage me, give confirmation, speak clearly. That journey of hearing God is, is not always 100% black and white and cut and dry. But here it says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. First we heard God is light, and in him there's no darkness. And then as believers, it says, we are light. Therefore, walk as children of the light. 
mean, it sounds like a little, you know, children's song, right? I'm sure there are multiple children's songs about walking as children of the light. But as adults, how much do we think about that? I am to walk as a child of the light. I am to walk in light because God is light. I'm to walk in light because I'm exhorted to be an imitator of God. I'm to walk in light because the, the reality of the gospel is true enough that the exposure of sin is incinerated by the light. That's the truth. We think, I expose my sin, my sin is so heavy, it's going to drag me to hell, and everyone's going to call me a fraud and a failure. The reality is bringing sin into the light incinerates it. It brings it to nothing. It breaks it of its power. So the, so the faith in the gospel is to say we are all a community of individuals who have stumbled and fallen badly, unable to have merit before God in our own name. And then it says, verse 10, Try, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord and do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Whoa, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you hear me? It says, don't participate in the, in the works of darkness. Participation in the works of darkness will always lead to us hiding. We stay in the dark because we've touched something dark. But here it says, don't do that. It says, even expose them. Is God for you or against you? If he's against you, the exposing is scary. Because to, to bring something into the light, if God is against me, is like, ah, the final judgment of God's going to fall on me and I'm going to forever be cast away from his presence. But here it says, even expose, and it says, all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Everything that becomes visible is light. In other words, I sin, I bring it into the light, the light purifies, the light cleanses, and it literally becomes light. In other words, what I'm ashamed of becomes my testimony. Right? I mean, I, I've, I've preached this multiple times, but the, the, the reality is, it, uh, it, there's a verse that says, godly sorrow leads to repentance without regret. I've said that multiple times in the last, whatever, five sermons. Godly sorrow produces repentance without regret. Why? If sin is so icky, then why would we want to bring it into the light? Because when you bring it into the light, it literally changes you. It literally takes that, that, that anchor that's good, that would tear us, that, would, that would, is so heavy it would drop us to hell, it looses us of that, and it literally becomes light. So what, it, what would destroy our soul from shame actually turns into a testimony. Where I say, I once was in darkness. The light of God has shined upon me. He's freed me. And therefore, I can walk in the light. Walking in the light doesn't mean perfection. 
But it means we're constantly bringing ourselves back before the light and saying, oh, Lord, incinerate this too. Incinerate this too. We bring it into the light. It literally says it, you expose deeds of darkness, and it says once it becomes visible, everything that becomes visible is light. I mean, some of this like just hit me right here. Everything that becomes visible is light. We're afraid to expose because we think that God isn't good. And we think that everyone around us is more nefarious and unkind than we hope. Right? I mean, if we're honest, I'm like, if I bring something into the light, I'm going to be whacked upside the head with a frying pan for stumbling. But here, the gospel truth, the gospel of grace, it actually empowers us to walk in the light because it literally removes it removes the curse of sin. It removes the vileness of sin. It removes the, 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 the shame of sin, the power of sin. It literally becomes light. It says, for this reason, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How do we redeem time? We redeem time by coming into the light and letting God cleanse what would destroy us, what would weigh us down. And then, and then I'll, I'll skip past a few verses. In verse 21 it says, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, that's God's aim. God's aim is not that we isolate and keep things in darkness because we're afraid his aim is to have us come into the light. We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with one another. We're literally the dark, vile things become light. They become our testimony. What, what, what bound us in shame now becomes something of God where we can say God cleanses us. And it says we're subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, we're part of a family. I'm not on my own. The natural inclination is to stay on our own to process everything on our own, to confess everything privately. And here it says, you know, we, we don't participate in the fruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but we instead expose them. There's other, verses that, there's other verses that say love covers a multitude of sins. So which one is it? Does love cover a multitude of sins or do we expose them? Suddenly, things just got difficult. Right? True. That's a, that's a question of pastoral complexity. The Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. And then the Bible also says, don't participate in unfruitful works of darkness, even expose them. That's where we need, again, we need gospel grace. Because, again, you put ten people in a room, you say, this is the issue. You say, well, do, you, do, do, do you cover it? Do you expose it? What do you do? Gospel grace is preferring one another. Gospel grace is hearing one another. Gospel grace is going back, like take a friend out to lunch, bring your Bible, open it up and say, which one is it? What do I do? 
Because obviously we don't all get up and line up on Sunday morning and grab a microphone and be like, ah, this is what I did this week. Just doesn't happen. So there's a reality of confession to a, to a friend, a mentor, a spouse. And there, but again, wrestling with church history, revival, some of revival is, happens in the context of people get up and they say things that are outside of God moving, the grace of God moving on the heart like people wouldn't say those things publicly. And Julianne has said many times that one of my favorite words is tension. Live in the tension. It's true. Grace, gospel grace, gospel encouragement, gospel light is to say we are a body and we have to wrestle. We have to live in the tension of these things. We have to live in the reality, the knowledge that there's disagreements of how exactly do you apply this and what scenarios and when do you do it, when do you not. But that's where we need grace. Grace is the reality of unmerited favor when you think they don't deserve it. When you think you're right, they're wrong. You think your principle is higher. Your, your biblical verse is, you put it on a scale and it's heavier than theirs. That's why we need gospel grace. Because walking in the light, corporately, walking in the light as a community of believers, it's, it contains pain and mess. Just, re, just real. I wish it didn't. I wish everything was, I mean, I like color, but metaphorically speaking, I wish everything was black and white. So the gospel of grace beckons us to walk in the light. I'm going to read a few, a couple quotes and be, and be done. An isolated, independent, separated, and self-hiding Christian life is alien to the Christianity of the New Testament. Biblical Christianity is thoroughly and foundationally relational. No one can live outside the essential ministry of the body of Christ and remain spiritually healthy. No one is is so spiritually mature that he is free from the need for the comfort, warnings, encouragement, rebuke, instruction, and sights of others. Everyone needs partners in struggles. Everyone needs to be helped to see that they cannot see about themselves on their own. This includes leaders. It's not enough to just do leadership activities together because there is not a moment in time when every leader is free from the need of gospel community. Every leader to be spiritually healthy needs spiritual help. Everyone. And that's a quote by John Chisholm. I'm going to read another one. We are lovingly called out of darkness, out from behind the trees into the open and the light. Not because we don't have things to hide, but because grace means we no longer have to hide them. That's the transfer. When something comes into the light, it's cleansed. It it's, it's becomes light. The one from whom we have hidden is now our Father. And the things we have hid, He has, has been fully attained for, atoned for. Because we can be honest with God, we can also be honest with one another. A gospel-shaped community will be a confessional community where honesty is not only 
a constant protection, but encourages a deeper and deeper dependency on God. That, that's the truth. There, are, again, are sermons that are enjoyable, and there are other sermons that challenge all of us, including whoever has the microphone. This is a challenging one. I, I, am, I am committed myself. I don't just want to believe the principles of the Word and not figure out how to get in the trenches and walk it out. I don't just want to believe the doctrine and have no clue how to apply it. I, I, that, that, this is my frame of heart and mind coming into this new year of God Teach me how to walk this out, not just by myself, but with community, in community. How do we become a community of grace, right? I mean, that, 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 that's our vision. We believe the centrality of the gospel, gospel-centered, presence-driven. Gospel-centered doesn't just mean in theology we put the gospel first, it means in practice, we put gospel, the gospel of light, the gospel of grace, the gospel of comfort first. We put it at the center so, so that we can walk it out together. So, Craig, if you want to come up. So, none of this is a statement of exactly how to do one thing or another. But it's a challenge for all of us to say, God, I want this gospel of grace to somehow, some way, teach me and train me and lead me and guide me to walking as children of light. I want that. Challenging my own heart like God. Like, what is it inside of me? What is there inside of me that I'm still hesitant, hesitant to bring into the light? We should all ask that question. And by bringing it into the light, I'm not making this hard, fast statement of it has to be private, it has to be public. That, that's, there's complexity there. But the reality is we're called to be a gospel community of grace, a gospel community of encouragement and light. This is one of the most frequent prayers I pray over myself and my kids. God, release light and truth, light and truth, light and truth. And that is my prayer for us corporately, that we would embrace light and truth because it, the Bible, the gospel literally says, bring things into the light and they become light you bring what is darkness into the light and the light sanitizes it it cleanses it and it breaks the chains so if you would all stand I just want to pray over us corporately if you desire to come up and pray before the Lord privately you can but this is a message for all of us. Father, we declare that you are light and in you there's no darkness. 
And Lord, we humbly confess, God, that apart from your grace, we don't know how to come into the light. God, apart from your transforming power, God, the touch of the Holy Spirit upon us, God, coming into the light is the most difficult thing we've ever done. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the grace of God to walk in the light as you are in the light. The grace of God to, to bring into the light things that have been in darkness, God. For the purpose of cleansing, not of judgment. The purpose of transformation, not of rebuke. Father, we humble ourselves before you, God, and we say, shine your light. Shine your light into us, God, that any dark place of our hearts, of our desires, of our emotions, of the way we process life, God, anything that's dark inside of us, God, shine your light. Purify it. Sanctify it. God, I pray that we would be a healthy community full of gospel grace gospel encouragement and gospel light. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 